Welcome to Family First, the wild world of marketing to parents. My name is Mark Giovino, CEO and founder at The Alliance Group. I'd like to welcome Julian Franklin to this episode of Family First. Julian has some of the most diverse career experiences you might find from a marketer, including starting in sports with a seven-year run at the Toronto Blue Jays. This was followed by time running sponsorships at Western Foods out of Canada that included his leadership as a sponsor of the 2010 Olympic Winter Games in Vancouver. He then spent an accomplished 10-year career at Kraft Heinz, including stints running shopper teams, consumer engagement, and as a portfolio lead on sports and entertainment partnerships, negotiations, and retail activations, including the NHL, MLS, a partnership with Steph Curry, WWE USA Hockey, Chicago Blackhawks, the LA Kings, and many, many more. Julian spent two years as the managing director of Geometry Global in Toronto. He also started his own marketing company, Franklin Management, and served as president for three and a half years prior to taking on his current role as vice president of partnership development and strategy for Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. Julian somehow, with all of that experience, has found time to be a family man who takes great pride in his kids and his family. Julian, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Mark, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Let's start with family first. Tell us about your family, how many kids, what are their ages, and maybe some of the activities they enjoy. I'd be happy to. I'm the proud father of three kids. There are three teenagers right now, so it's a it's an interesting dynamic in our house. I have a 19-year-old son named Kobe, then a 17-year-old son named Kalen, and a 16-year-old daughter named Gabrielle. And uh, my wife, Shelly, and I are pleased as punch to have been so a, a part of their lives, but also a part of everything, their successes and failures. So a lot of activities in our house. Maybe there's another whole conversation about raising teenage children. I'm at my three and much younger, so we'll yeah. save that for another time. We can definitely get into that because, you know, as, as they say, bigger kids, bigger problems. But we've been blessed for the most part. They've all been fantastic kids, all healthy and a lot of really, really awesome memories from the time they were born to, you know, when they were just in preschool to young tweens to teenagers, lots of stories I could tell. So let me know how much time we have. That's awesome. How has parenthood influenced your perspective as a marketer or even some of your other roles over the years? It's influenced it a lot because as a marketer, it's been something where we spend so much time in research and trying to understand what are the psychological triggers to a consumer, as we would call them, to what is going to make them purchase a product? And I think it's really interesting because as I've kind of grown through my career and have you know changed from someone who was a single to someone who was married and having different focuses in trying to grow myself as an adult and then becoming a parent, there's just different stages that I've realized that I've gone through. And then as we talk about how we focus and market to, to parents and then to broader families, you know, it really has come back to at what point are we able to kind of, for lack of a better term, disrupt the millions of things that are going on in a parent's mind and then also disrupt maybe that routine that we all know as parents, the biggest thing that we have as an asset, and I speak for this myself for sure, is my routine because I know what I'm doing. I can go on autopilot to get something done and that helps kind of efficiently get me through my day. But as a marketer, you're like, okay, 
if you have an individual who is doing that as a parent because of the, so many things that are in their head, how are we able to disrupt that uh, and then also deliver that message repetitively so they can understand that, yes, this is how I want to integrate this particular product because it's making my life easier or making my kids' life easier and generally making our family life easier. And I think those are the things that come to mind for myself going through my kind of career path is how really we're able to target through research and studying the consumer behavior to be that disruptor to hopefully get into their mindset to make that purchase. We first met back, and I think it was 2013, at the ANA Reggie Awards. Yes. And I remember you picked up a ton of hardware and accolades for some of your work on Capri Sun. I think it was the Kids versus Pros campaign. I know it was many years ago, but can you tell us more about that program and maybe coming back to research, you just made that point about some of the initial insights and how you addressed some of those challenges when it does come to marketing to kids? remember it fondly because it was... For Capri Sun, for those who may not be aware of Capri Sun, it was, this was at my time at Kraft Foods in Chicago. Capri Sun was one of our anchor brands, anchor beverage brands that was kids focused and still doing quite well today as the number one pouch drink in the market. And one of the things that we understood about Capri Sun was how are we able to maybe do the same thing that we discussed, disrupt and be something a bit different in the mindset of not only parents, but kids and how they could look at Capri Sun as an option versus at the time, Gatorade, uh, other soft drinks, et cetera. And how could, you know, this juice pouch still be something viable that, you know, is a part of their daily lives, whether they're going to soccer practice, hockey practice, football practice, or they're at home or riding their bikes and they're back on the streets with, with their friends. And so what we did was look to do something that was uniquely different and was to say kids are drinking Capri Sun and kids usually have heroes in sports and entertainment. And it means something to a kid, a young kid who's like between the ages of seven and 11 to aspire to be like a Steph Curry or David Ortiz on the sporting field. Or Gabby Douglas was also at the time world-class and Olympic gymnast. And Gabby was a part of that program. And then Last but not least, we had WWE superstar John Cena. And really what it was, was the insight was, you know, everyone aspires to be an athlete or somebody famous in a sport that they love. Let's put that together. Let's put the pros versus the kids in a really interesting competition to see how a young nine-year-old could do against a John Cena or a Stephen Curry. But the the play was on the kids' terms. And really the arena was a kids-focused arena. And it was something that was a bit aspirational, but also really entertaining. And so what we did in creating that too, that idea is we learned how to amplify it through a couple of really neat ways. And really the thing that was super exciting was we created a television show out of it that ran on CBS. It was an hour long special that really targeted how these games and how this played itself out. And it was, it was fantastic. The other component, which I look back at it now, 10 years ago, social media and influencer strategies were not the thing that was on everybody's mind. But if you look at what we did was really have the seeds of those, how we use content and snippets to really drive some awareness through some of our channels, such as YouTube, and got people excited about what the offering was. And really what that ended up doing for us is ultimately driving awareness back to what for us at the time and still is ultimately a big decider is how people are now purchasing and what does that mean when you go into the grocery store and how are you top of mind now when you go into the grocery aisle 
or see that extra display of Capri Sun with John Cena and David Ortiz and Steph Curry and Gabby Douglas like cutouts there. And you're like, oh yeah, that's something that is, you know, what I saw on air or quite frankly, on some of our other channels. So I think it was back to that research and insight to know that kids always want to kind of look up to their heroes or sports heroes. But now if we could bring those sports heroes on their terms into onto their turf, what would that be? And we really drove that with kids versus pros. And it worked out well for us as well with the uh, Reggie's. Now, at what stage in building that program did the television programming element become a part of it in terms of amplification? Was it early in the process where you said, hey, we might have something here. If we do this right, it's essentially entertainment. Or was it within the program where you saw the success of the program and said, hey, this might be something that can live? At what stage did that become reality for you guys? Yeah, no, it it was great. I think for us, it kind of came in the earlier stages because- as we thought about the idea and the strategy, so we had the strategy baked, but then as we thought of how do you roll out that strategy and what that looked like in working with these superstars and how do you amplify that beyond when we, the TV side of things, we did a TV spot and we had a campaign related to it. And, you know, going back a decade, those were kind of table stakes. So you could, what was your go-to-market strategy? But then the content piece of developing the show really became fruition when we thought about, okay, when we do a media buy, like how are we able to show this? Because again, the target were kids and families, right? And so how are kids and families really going to see this in a different light beyond just the, the commercials that quite frankly would run that it would, would run during day parts or on weekends. And so that's where we really went and leaned in and amplified it and created the idea of the show, looked at what this could look like. We ended up doing shoots in four locations because David is, was based in Boston at the time, we, but we met him in Miami because it was the off season. We went to LA to see to, to shoot with Steph. He went to Orlando where WWE's special training center is. And then the same with Gabby. So, you know, so when you think about it, there was a lot that was built into it. And I think once we locked in and saying, this is a great way to amplify, we really went all in and it took quite a long tail to get everything to come to fruition. And I think it benefited the program 100%. Are there any other examples of sponsorships, partnerships, or promotions that you can share over the years in any of your roles that resonate or you recall that had a focus on engaging with the family audience? There are a few. And it's funny, as I think about them, a lot of them were happened in different stages of my career and also different stages of my own adulthood. So in early in my career, before I became a parent, I was heavily involved in a lot of the work that we're doing the Toronto Blue Jays at the time in developing our own kids club, which was called Junior Jays, but then also creating in a a day at the ballpark, which ended up becoming Junior Jay Saturdays, which was really about the intent of getting more families down to the ballpark, special sections within the ballpark, the ability to come down and run the bases, meet players, and really tie that into our own kids club that when you go back, this is going back definitely several years now. When you think about just that overall impact and focus on how we making sure that, you know, such as the ballpark are intentionally family-friendly, not just family-friendly because they are places where the sun is shining, the popcorn's hot, and the soda is cold, right? It's how are you making sure that there's spaces and access to families for them to make a purchase decision to say, hey, I'm good with spending X amount of dollars for three to four hours of entertainment for my family 
at the ballpark because there are this number of things that we can do pre-game, post-game, or during the game. And so really proud of that. And when I still go back to Jays games and still see Junior Jays Saturdays and, and kids running the bases, those are legacies of things that are really important to me. My time at Kraft beyond Capri Sun was really marked by a program that we were able to develop called Craft Hockeyville. As a, it, was, it was truly one of the few North American-wide programs that Craft had launched. We had launched it in Canada when I moved down to the U.S. When, when we first met, Mark, I helped launch that program in the U.S. market. And really what that program was really about was bringing back the sport of hockey hockey, our craft food products, which were really, really targeted uh, across all families and all day parts into really showcasing what this could do for not only families, but even more broadly communities and communities and families for us, when we looked at craft hockeyville, were so intertwined. And I think that it beca- became a gold standard for us in how we were going to market to families. And it gave us the permission to talk to families about things such as meal prep, Know that you're on the go driving your son or daughter to practice after school. What are the things that our craft products are able to provide that for you as you move through your busy day? And then also tying it back to some of the things that we're doing in communities with craft and through craft hockey wheel, which was ultimately helping refurbish community or uh, hockey rinks and then having NHL games played in those hockey rinks and then leaving a donation for those communities. So really from a broader scope, it focused on family, but it even focused on community, which was more about leaving a legacy that was was beneficial for everybody involved. And that legacy continues today. I just saw recently some mention of Hockeyville with Kraft again. That must, yes. that must be such a source of pride for you being on the ground level of building that program and then many years later to see it still still living and still helping the communities and families. 100%. I mean, Craft Hockey still lives today. It's a program that is going well into its second decade. And it's something that is just synonymous with kind of all the things we talked about is how are we supporting communities and indirectly supporting families through our craft products and the give back of the legacy of the program. Well, in many respects, too, life full circle for you. I mean, starting your professional career with the Blue Jays, and here you are now still working with the organization, but now at an elevated level across all of the venues and properties with Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. Yeah, I have to imagine you're continuing to do things, whether it's organization-wide, enterprise-wide, or individual venues or properties. Anything you can share that you're doing at Maple Leaf to attract yeah, families I- and work with families? Definitely. Like Maple Leaf Sport Entertainment, I've just joined and been with them within the past year. I've been thrilled and excited to be a part of just such a great organization that has our NHL team, the Toronto Maple Leafs, under our umbrella, our MLS soccer team, which is Toronto FC, our NBA team, which is the Toronto Raptors, and then our CFL, which is the Canadian Football League team, the Toronto Argonauts, under that umbrella. And the Argos won the Great Cup Championship just this past November. So really proud of of that and really all four of those teams within city of Toronto so we look at those teams as really being helping build the fabric of what really drives the city right there's nothing comparable i would say than to sports entertainment and getting when people are up it's because the teams are winning or we're moving into the playoffs when people are down it's because we're in the middle of a losing streak or we've been exiting the playoffs and that's something very few things really gather hundreds of thousands or millions of people together in a common goal than sports so Proud to be with MLSC and being a part of that. As it pertains to families, all four of our clubs have been really focused on how we continue to make 
the sport and the games in our arenas accessible through things such as family zones for families to come and attend. Also through different events that we're doing out in the communities, because we understand that within our building, there's only so many people that are able to get into our building. But what's even more important is what we're doing out in the community and also what we're doing through our social media channels and what we're doing through building content to get more families engaged with what the teams are doing and help overall fandom. So you'll see us being quite active through our social channels. You'll see us doing a number of things through a couple of entities that we have. One is called MLSE Launchpad, which really is our own. We've invested in developing our own community hub within the downtown core of Toronto, where kids are able to engage, learn about healthy activities, learn about nutrition, be engaged in different sports. And it's been something that is quite fantastic, not only for the individual kids, but for families as well, to know that MLSC is investing in that right right in the downtown core. And we're quite proud of that. And we speak highly of it to all of our partners and all of our fans of, of the clubs. So there's just a number of those things. We know that in the stadium, that's our environment where we get to showcase. But quite honestly, as we've grown, we understand that not everybody can get there every game. And then when they do get there, we want to make sure that's special for those families. So we we have things such as understanding who and when, when families are in, what is their first game? How do we highlight that either on our Jumbotron or providing snacks or complimentary gift cards for them to say, this is your first game and show the showcase that. So little things, but again, we fully do that in parallel with also making sure that families who can't come to games still feel connected to our brand and our teams. And how do you define success in the shorter term for either the program you just articulated or even back if you think about Hockeyville or kids versus pros? And in every respect as a marketer, if you zoom out over a long enough period of time, success leaves clues. Like the fact that Hockeyville is still working tells us all something. But but within the early stages, what have you found to work as you report internally up through your different respective organizations for success and metrics and KPIs and how to measure success? I'm curious to know in your experience, what are some things that have have worked well and maybe some best practices that you can share? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think my experience over the, the last several years from my time at the Blue Jays to going through my packaged goods career, then coming and running an agency and now back on the, and running my own company and back now into sport. I've kind of, uh, I've seen at different tables on different sides of the table, so to speak as well, and understanding it and the KPIs change. So I guess that's the headline. But what I would say in my experience is the internal buy-in of key stakeholders and understanding what those KPIs are and how we as a team internally now stick to them and then highlight them is really important. So back in the time of Craft Hockeyville and Capri, Sun Kids versus Pros, it was about a driver of, well, this program helped drive displays at retail because we know if we have incremental display at retail, we're going to see a lift, right? Because we know the traffic pattern of that shopper, if they're disrupted and they see our product, they're more likely to pick that up and purchase. And really those are things that 
are important. And when we would see, when we would distill it and look at it that way and see that there's lift, yeah, that that is a success story. Now, KPIs change. KPIs now for some brands were about impressions to actually bolster our social feeds, because if we have bolstered social feeds, that, that delivers something for us in driving all maybe our overall business or value. There's also KPIs that are you know, quite frankly, tied to lead generation. And I think that the scale of doing big programs with brands in the sports and entertainment world, that can deliver that scale. And I think there's also that is unique to some of the promotions and programs that we have done. There, there's more of a one-to-one relationship and transaction opportunity that you get. Some of the other ways that we go about doing marketing are just not as just not there. And so it's interesting. I would say the KPIs do change over time, but for us, we're able to mark our success by saying this was helping drive retail sales. And this would help all facets of our business to say, we're a, we're a proud partner of a particular team or league. And we're able to turn that into incremental activity at the point of purchase. And that seems to be something that I think will never go out of fashion but what is a challenge is really, there's usually that one internal champion that needs to really push that up the chain to make sure that everyone's crystal clear on our investment is going to help drive this. Are we very comfortable with that? And hopefully it is affirmative and then people will stick to that. So in the introduction, we talked about how diverse your career has really been. What are some of the differences you've seen sitting really on all sides of the table, whether now in the, at the venue side or the rights holder compared to the brand, the sponsor versus the sponsee, and then your time kind of in the middle working with an agency. What have you seen to be some of the differences working on all different sides? It's one of these things where sports and sports entertainment in general are things that drive passion. And I think that on either side of the table, if you have an advocate of understanding that the emotional pull of a brand is only accentuated by aligning with a particular sports entertainment property because that that then ties into an emotional reaction of why fans are purchasing tickets, why fans are purchasing memorabilia, why do we show up every particular Sunday to support an NFL team? It's because there's an emotional connection. And I think that brands, as I've sat around the table and either articulating that to make a pitch to a brand or being a brand and seeking that and saying, this is what I want my brand to expand to be a part of. Because for me, I've always believed a brand is what our consumers tell it is. But if we go to where our consumers are and what they're doing, we're able to have that right to come to them at all times of the day, right? So that's why we know that our, our brands are in the right spaces for our fans to make that decision and why we have such great partners or our four teams who want to be there at that point. So I would say that it becomes something that is triggered by emotion, but it's good emotion. And then it's something that quite honestly, brands and fans want to be a part of. And I've seen it either as being the purchaser or being someone who is trying to deliver that message of why it's so important to tap into that emotion, of, especially when it comes to loyalty of a particular brand, a purchase decision because you're aligned with a particular brand and all the same values that you have as a brand, a lot of our our teams and sports have. So these are things that really hopefully make up an easy decision to say, this is where I'd like to invest some of my dollars when I look at an overall marketing brand plan. Are there any stories you can share that speak to the intersection of your family and work? And maybe it's less so two worlds colliding, but maybe it's two worlds 
really complementing each other. Maybe it's an experience you've taken the family to, or even a family experience that inspired an idea right. or a brand you were leading at the time. Any any stories you can share about that intersection? I have so many. A couple of things come to mind. We still have a picture that I, I see almost daily just through my own social channels of when myself and my wife, Shelly, and our three kids went to a Notre Dame game. And just that experience, the kids were probably, you know, in between the ages of seven and 11 you know, at that time, we did all the things that a fan would do. Like it was our first time going to Notre Dame. We made the drive from Chicago. We got the gear. Notre Dame was just a lifelong wish and dream for my wife to kind of because of her, her affection for the movie, Rudy. Again, back to sport, back to emotion, back to that connectivity, all these things. I mean, these are very real. And we went and did it and we just had a fantastic day. We were able to get a chance to have some great pictures pregame where a couple of the kids were able to get close enough to see some of the players that were entering through the tunnel. Then we ended up in the nosebleeds watching the game and had a great time and everyone was just enthralled. And that picture that we have of just the smiles on our faces coming out of that day were just fantastic. And I think my family has been lovers of sports since we were basically formed and it continues to this day. And an interesting Duncan, I'll share with you and, and the listeners. I work for MLSC, but I'm not the only Franklin who works for MLSC. My oldest son, Kobe, he is in his first year as a professional soccer player with TFC as a 19-year-old. He's a 19-year-old rookie, and we are super thrilled and proud of him and his journey. He's committed to his craft of becoming a professional athlete and is now in his first year. He's made a couple of appearances already for TFC, but he's learning his craft behind a bunch of excellent, outstanding players. But we hope to see him one day continue down his journey as a professional athlete. So we're, as we, you could say, Mark, we're all in. We're all in as a family. We love sports. We're blessed to be able to start to have careers in it and you to have opportunity to be a part of it because quite frankly, there, there, there isn't anything better than sports entertainment, in my opinion. Well, and there may be no greater example I could ever think of, of that intersection of family and work than your son literally playing for one of the teams that MLSE represents. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, congratulations. Yeah. And I, and he will say this and it's true. He was, he was an MLSE employee before I was, I mean, cause he grew up in the Academy and he has been yeah. a part of this great organization for quite a number of years. So he, he is the first. <laughs> Does he razz you at all? Does he say, Hey dad, I'm the one who inspired you taking on this, this, this job, this role. I yeah, was here first. I, yeah. He does. I mean, among many razzes I get from my kids, because yeah. of course, at the end of the day, I'm yeah. still just a goofy dad, but yes, yeah. I have to have a thick skin in the family for all of that, but no, kudos to him. <laughs> that's for sure. I love it. Any other activities, especially with the kids now as teenagers, any experiences or things that you and your wife try to do as a family with the kids together that you guys enjoy the most? You know what? It's funny. Yes, there is. But I would say it, it sounds old timey and folksy, but it's true. As the kids have gotten older, they've become much more independent to do their own things. They can drive. They have their licenses. They have their own friends. They have their own lives we try and lean into at least getting the ability to have a Saturday dinner or a Sunday dinner with all five of us around the table. And it's something that um, the kids will say, I, I Sunday is family day in our house. And family day is important for a number of reasons, because at least for us, we know that we're able to get the kids at least for a couple of hours to commit to just being 
around the house and in each other's presence and trying to be available for things that just come up, conversations. Those happen during the week, but everyone's moving at different speeds and in and out of the house during the week. So we lean into at least as they become teenagers to at least ask for their permission to give us a few hours to at least break some bread, catch up, talk, do some admin stuff that are always important that we haven't got to during the week as a family. And then they move on. And for um, my wife and I, that, as, as I say, that has to be good enough, right? And it is, right? Because we're grateful for it. So those are the things that really are driving us as we become, I guess, we're maturing as a family as the kids now look at university and college and their own professional careers and they're moving through high school. So, you know, it's just part of adapting to uh, family life. That's great. Your career hasn't been inspiring enough. I think that story alone is for any parent out there is, is a great one for all of us to take a take note Thank of. Thank you. Thank you. And I would say to any parent out there, just a just a bit of advice. Don't be shy about leaning into just those little moments because you know there's even today, there's nothing better than just having a meal around a table and chatting, even if it's 20 minutes, right? It's it's 20 minutes well spent. So and it doesn't even have to be anything fancy, just the art of sitting and talking and eating. I mean, we do it all the time. So we know there's nothing better, but with your kids, it's top of the heap. Well, speaking of being together, thank you, Julian, so much for spending time together with us and sharing your insights and a little bit about your career. Thanks. Thanks for your time. Always a pleasure, Mark. Great talking and we'll do it again soon, hopefully. Take care. And thank you for listening in to this episode of Family First, the wild world of marketing to parents.